Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, my name's Dominic Ponsford, and you're listening to The Future of Media Explained from Press Gazette. And this week, we're going to talk all about the future of events. So joining me to find out about the future of events and as it affects news publishers, I have Press Gazette's UK editor, Charlotte Tobit. Hi, Charlotte. Hi, Dom. So events. They were a big deal, weren't they, before the pandemic? Yeah, and then it crashed. (laughs) So I looked back on Press Gazette and I found that we did some analysis last year and we worked out that the pandemic cost just a few, about five, I think, UK B2B publishers and business intelligence companies more than two billion in lost events revenue in 2020. Like that's massive. And that's, you know, if you if you scale that up to consumer publishers as well, that's that was a huge hit. And those are just the ones we know about. I think across the piece, I think looking at news media in its broadest sense, I reckon events were probably about a third of everyone's revenue. And then uh, in a few days, in 2020, the entire global events industry died a horrible death. And anyone who worked in events had to go and retrain as a delivery person. Well, I'd say it wasn't quite that bad, just in the sense that plenty of events people just got on with trying to work out how to pivot to digital and we know that lots of people did do that quite successfully. Obviously, the revenues were much lower than the big in-person events still at that time. But there was lots of really interesting innovation at that time. And that's why this period we're now entering is interesting, I think, because as well as the return of those big in-person events, there's also the lessons that people learned about digital and technology and how they can reach people in more different countries, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. And sort of the combination of in-person and maybe supplementing them in a package for commercial partners with some virtual roundtables as well as the in-person events, for example. So I think now we're we're able to move forward this year into sort of what it's going to look like in the future. Events are back, aren't they? They're back big style, but they're not the same. Yeah. And Dom, I think it's fair to say we've been on this journey ourselves over the last couple of years isn't it well we have that's right yeah looking back to 2020 we historically our biggest revenue driver has been the british journalism awards which has been a big event which we couldn't hold in 2020 so yes we did a lot of virtual events we did the british journalism awards a virtual event and 
I think it's fair to say, although 2020 was a pretty tough year for us, we did better than we thought we would. We made a bit of money, but not so much. But then, yeah, really what's been fascinating is in 2021 and this year, we've come back big style and events have been a really important part of that. So we've had end of 2021, the British Journalism Awards happen as a live event, the scruff of its neck with Omicron bearing down upon us. And it was the biggest one we've ever had. And then this year, we've added a bunch of Media 100 networking events where we get top people together for breakfast. And we do those on a Chatham House basis, which have proved really popular with sponsors. We've got our Future of Media Technology Awards in September and our Future of Media Technology event in September as well. So, yeah, it's been interesting. And although we've continued to do webinars, we found the appetite has been really strong for live events. People have been really glad to get back together, not just on the publisher's side, but on the sponsorship side as well. I think they really see the value in person and digital events are, are okay, but they're, and they have a lot of advantages, but they have some drawbacks as well. And I think Zoom fatigue is pr probably one of them. The fact that people aren't feeling super excited about having another. <laughs> session in front of a screen. Oh, I definitely feel that myself as well. Well, all of that very much chimes with what we're going to hear more about in the interview as well, I think. So this week we've spoken to Greg Williams, who is the Deputy Global Editorial Director for Wired. And just on what you were saying about the appetite, their first big in-person event to return was Wired Health in May. And he said there was a 25% year-on-year increase in attendance. There's still way more people than there were last year, even though it was virtual last year, and you could get all the people from way wider geographic locations and people that can't travel and all that sort of thing. So it just goes to show that the appetite to be back in a room, meeting people that you wouldn't necessarily cross over with normally opportunity to, to be inspired to learn things from other people in your industry that's what people need and that's way harder to do in an engaged way online definitely it's almost a bit like the office now isn't it the office is has come back but it's a very different place isn't it it's making more of it trying to network a bit more try and make it a bit more of an enjoyable place to be rather than just somewhere we all sit and stare at screens. Well, it is. It's like those sort of water cooler conversations that people kept talking about missing during the pandemic. And it's those sort of off-the-cuff conversations you can get in events as well that people are desperate to have again. No, I'm sold. You're preaching to the choir. I think events are a good thing. They're a good thing for us to go to, but they're a good thing for us to hold as publishers, aren't they, as well? So what did Greg tell us about how to do them well? Well, bearing in mind that Wired Health returned in May in London, they've got another big event in London in October, Wired Smarter, and they're actually launching a new event, Wired Impact, all about sustainability, ESG, and how that stuff is going to impact the business environment later this year. So he's feeling so bullish that as well as bringing back the events they already had before the pandemic, they are also launching new events and big events at that. But winding back the clock, I started by asking Greg about that initial impact that COVID had on their events. Immediately, we launched a series of what we call virtual briefings. So it was the kind of people who would be speaking at our events, doing a one-on-one -on -one online conversation, and then we'd have Q&A, which we discovered there was a 
really significant appetite for during the pandemic. And we continue doing those simply because I think there's just a really interesting format and it's something that people either join live or we record them and we push them out as podcasts. And then we thought, okay, so this is good. We're kind of up and running. We're figuring out the technology. And then we did a series of live events with multiple speakers, everyone joining virtually, except actually Demis Asabis, the co-founder of DeepMind. His office was around the corner from where we were recording the, well, not, sorry, where we were broadcasting from. So we were broadcasting these almost as like a broadcast event. Demis actually came along during one, it was during one of the periods where we weren't locked down. And so he came in live and we socially distanced. And that was a really interesting time because we were effectively having to figure out what does it look like to do five or six hours of wired sort of televisual programming, as it were. And so we made videos, original videos. We launched one during Wired Health about a, a very unusual health condition. And we thought about how do we really make this a meaningful sort of interaction with our audience rather than just another kind of set of panel discussions, which I think people were getting a little bit tired of during the pandemic. So obviously we this year have been thrilled to return live and we ran Wired Health in June, May, June. And it was, the appetite was there. I was wondering what it would be like going back live, but it really was, there was a 25% year on year increase in attendance, 73% increase in delegate revenue. So the appetite's there. And I think the lesson we've learned is that if you build a community around an event, that is going to go a long way to giving it like a life beyond just that moment. So I think that one of the things that obviously we really do focus on is just creating incredibly powerful on stage content, amazing speakers. So during lockdown, we had both the co-founders of Moderna and, and, and we, you know, Joao, who's curates our health event, got his bets right on, on who we should be speaking to in terms of, the, of the vaccines. And we build a real sort of sense of community around this event. And we have people coming back year after year. And it's not just about people sitting passively. It's about running workshops at the same time. It's about having lunches where people can really interact. It's about going beyond the live event into sort of other round tables that we might host either in person or on or online and sort of really try to move the conversation forward. So it's, we hope that our audience isn't going to just be sitting passively absorbing content. We hope that they're going to help us build a community to build real world sort of solutions to hopefully why it has always been about a single question, which is what did it take to build a better future? And I think with our health events, hopefully we are hoping to create a forum and a sense of community where we can tackle that question. You're saying it. Yeah. Maybe, maybe some events were in the past, there were a lot of conferences where people just sat there for a day and it could get a bit dry. Whereas yes. if you're making it a bit more interactive, I suppose that's the sort of thing people are desperate to get back to where they're yes. talking and engaging a bit more in person. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think that that's, that's really incumbent on us to create, create a bit of a show. People want to see entertained. They, they want to be entertained and they want to be amazed and they want to be inspired. And to create a space in which people can genuinely have open conversations where they feel that they're meeting their peers, where they feel that they are able to, you know, it's, it's not easy for people to take a day out of their schedule. Now, our audience is incredibly high level. They're very busy people. They're often traveling and have sort of significant responsibilities. Our health event is 
senior people in the healthcare industry, NHS uh, leaders and entrepreneurs and people who are really trying to do something significant. So if we're asking them to take a day out of their schedule to come and contribute and be part of something, then you have to make that time worth the investment. And I hope that's what we do with our events. So it sounds like it's obviously working revenue rise as well. In terms of that growth, what's the difference? What areas, what things are you doing that have worked commercially? Yeah, I think that the way that we, the way that we think about those kind of partnerships is this isn't just about someone working with us on an event that starts at 9am in the morning and then ends at five and that's it. What we hope to do is to build a whole program around it. So that might be, for instance, we'll host a round table about a certain topic and invite thought leaders on that topic to join us before the event. Then we'll create a white paper from that round table. Then we'll maybe have a, produce a video or run a virtual briefing. Then at the event, maybe there's a breakfast or a lunch or drinks where people can kind of really interact and talk about that content or workshops. And I think workshops are, we did a workshop um, with very senior NHS figures at Wired Health and then created quite a bit of content out of that that was shared and connected those people and a wider community to some of the, some of the challenges that, that they face. And I think that you know, obviously for a partner, the value is generating something where there are like tangible outcomes and where that conversation isn't just slapping a logo on. There is real investment of thought and energy and time and simple ways in which we can distribute that th through our channels. And it sounds a bit like in that case that what you're talking about, making it a really engaging sort of interactive event with all the lunches and stuff, that's good both for the audience and yes. for the brands. So that's win-win there. That's good. Yeah, well, exactly. We really hope to be, to some degree, a facilitator and for there to be real, real world outcomes. People meeting people who might invest in their businesses or people bumping into people that they might hire. The other really important part is how interdisciplinary our events are. Often we're bringing together people who would never normally interact with each other. Hopefully we just bring those people together and they have meaningful conversations and hopefully collaborate. And hopefully there's something that will push things forward. And to repeat the kind of the, our, our editorial mission is figure out what it takes to build this better future that we hope WIRED can contribute to. Yeah, that must be really cool to see the real world impact of it. So just a final point on WIRED Health but also more generally, is that, so is that just in person or do you, are you trying to have an, a hybrid element? Obviously before everything was pretty much all in person and then in the, during the pandemic, everyone tried out all this virtual stuff. So yeah. I think where we've settled is that there is no substitute for live in-person events. And I think that we've learned a lot during the pandemic. We learned a lot about the way in which we can use technology to connect people and the way that we can work together in new and interesting ways. And I think that there's probably a bit more of an acceptance with audiences that occasionally a speaker might join virtually rather than joining in person. But my position on this is, look, there is no substitute for people being together in a room, having a conversation and learning from each other. So. I am very keen that all our speakers join us live. Obviously there will be exceptional circumstances in which people will have to join virtually for various reasons, 
But those big events had to be a person. Having said that, I do think that we have seen the technology. Technology now means that we can, you and I are speaking on a platform for this podcast. And I think that we are now able to do different things that we wouldn't have done in the past. So these virtual briefings that I host and others on the team host, we didn't do those before the pandemic. It didn't even occur to me to do them. Suddenly the pandemic hit and we're going to continue to do those because they're a really good way of giving our audience something different, something I think quite impactful and having conversations in different ways that hopefully are meaningful. From the New Statesman comes a new podcast, Audio Long Reads. The best of our reported features and essays, read aloud. Featuring writing from our authors, including Ian McEwan on wrestling with Orwell's Inside the Whale. Might we reasonably assume that there is no longer an inside to the whale? That the creature lies stranded on the beach, as whales sometimes are? That the guts and blubber and ribcage are on display? A year inside GB News with Stuart McGurk. At first, the problems weren't ideological, but practical, technical, and quite, well, obvious. And Maria Wilczek on Belarusian football fans who took on Alexander Lukashenko. After the August 2020 protests, hundreds of ultras were roughed up and held in custody. One was later found dead in suspicious circumstances. Ease into the weekend with our audio long reads, published every Saturday morning. Just search audio long reads from the New Statesman wherever you get your podcasts. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. 
Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. So looking forward, I think your next big event back is Wired Smarter. Is that right? What's so that going got- to be like? Two big events coming later this year, Wired Smarter, which is our kind of um, our big annual business event that examines the fast changing world of business. We focus on the ideas, the technologies, the trends, whether that's AI, blockchain, sustainability, security, diversity and inclusion, future workforce. So we're trying to really dig into what is shaping today's business environment, and we try and examine the challenges and the opportunities for organizations to innovate really at a time when culture's accelerating, when norms are shifting. So it's around 700 sort of senior level executives come along, startups, scale up. We have government people, we have academics, we have people working in large incumbent businesses, and we'll start with plenary session. And then we break out into three tracks, one on future of money, one on future retail, one on future of security. And what we hope is that these are really like energetic, ambitious events that help people get up to speed on the critical trends that are impacting their businesses and reflect the kind of the very eclectic interdisciplinary ideas and trends and innovations that the wide covers. So yeah, really interesting crowd on that. And then in the, in November the 2nd, we're going to be running an entirely new event, which I'm super excited about, which we're calling Wide Impact. And it's going to focus really around sustainability and ESG. So again, ideas, technologies, trends, whether that's sustainable finance and investment, circular economy, the technologies such as renewable energy or carbon capture. We're going to look at future of cities, mobility, adaptive environments how we restructure economies that really are shaping, again, the business environment and how we can tackle humankind's most pressing challenge. And I think that, you know, the importance of that obviously is really tangible to everyone. How we decarbonize the economy is probably the biggest sort of challenge that we face right now. So we're trying to understand what the key technologies and initiatives are that need to be in place for this to occur and how organizations can best align their business strategy with their ESG goals and how we, how organizations can accelerate their journey and governments can accelerate their journey to net zero. So again, we're hoping business leaders, scientists, entrepreneurs, academics, NGOs, startups, public sector, scale-ups really will be attracted by this proposition. Yeah. I'm really excited about that. And I think it's nice to do new things and to really review your kind of portfolio of events every so often and think, okay, what's important? What's, what, how, what's the audience? interested in at the moment? What are their conversations? What are the kind of conversations they're having at the water cooler or in the boardrooms? Like what are people really thinking about at the moment? And obviously this is, in my view, the kind of the crucial topic that we have to address. Yeah, absolutely. Sounds like a, yeah, very important. So you're obviously feeling quite bullish about sort of events for the business if you're introducing another big one. Yeah, really, really bullish. I just think there's nothing like it. I think what's important is that these events are all editorially curated, right? So it's the Wired team working on them to find that these stories that are impactful, the people that are impactful, the businesses that are making change, really addressing the technologies that are making change. Some of that will be maybe quite early stage stuff, which I think is part of our job is to take a look at 
and really figure out, okay, what's going to be meaningful in the long term. Some of that is going to be looking at more established organizations. Some of it's going to be looking at government policy and how we create incentives and how we create disincentives for various kinds of behaviors. And I think that as long as you are, your radar is tuned into the culture, then there will, there is a way of finding topics that will attract people to want to get together to discuss them and um, hopefully, in a, from a wide point of view, find solutions. So yeah, I'm, I am pretty bullish and I'm really genuinely excited about get, getting back to live events at, at, at scale. I've been to a couple of events at scale over the last sort of six to eight months and it's a cliche, but there is absolutely no substitute for bumping into fascinating people and talking to them about their work and trying to and trying to understand how they feel that their work can impact the world in a positive way moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. Just to go back on you touched on obviously the editorial team and, and the fact they're all editorial created. Do yeah. you think just thinking why publishers in particular might think about events, I guess is that why it's such a good opportunity for publishers as opposed to just any old company? I think you've absolutely hit the nail on the head is that people in publishing who employ journalists with deep expertise, deep contact books, genuinely understands what is happening that's interesting and innovative and pushing boundaries. I think that's what put pub what puts publisher in a pretty unique position. Also publishers are really good at figuring out how to package things, how to make things intelligible, how to communicate beyond the event. Publishers by definition have lots of different kind of channels that they can and levers that they can pull. And I think that if you get it right and you are thoughtful and you deliver a great experience and that, that starts literally as people walk up to the front door. So you want to know, you want you want your signage to all be really good. You want people there to welcome the delegates. You want them all to be able to get a drink whenever they want one. They want, you want them always to be able to have a quiet space if they need to take a call or to answer email. You want good food, you know, and all those kind of details. I think publishers are pretty uniquely positioned to do because they are attuned to their audiences and they're attuned to delivering what their audiences are interested in and what they're passionate about. So I think, yeah, I think publishers should be very, very bullish about it because they have spent a long time developing this expertise and really events are just another platform on which they can demonstrate that expertise. I know you can't share any specifics, but to put it in context of how important events are for Wired, when we spoke in June 2020, you said that events were the second biggest revenue driver after advertising. So I was just wondering, is that still the same? Are there any other insights there that you could share? Sure. Look, events are really important as a growth area for us. And it's sort of part of my remit to figure out how we can do more events and how we can move them into other markets. So we're already, we are talking to various markets within the kind of Condé Nast about how we sort of start thinking about taking wide health to their market, for instance. So I'd love to do wide health in Asia, maybe, or some other European territories. I think it's a very replicable 
event. Everyone's interested in health. Every marketplace has a has significant experts who would be great on stage. So that growth, I think, is something that we're going to be focusing on in the months and years. And it to, it, to me, it feels like a sort of real opportunity, not just for Wired, but frankly, for all publishers with a, with a, with a strong brand is how can you think about, especially, frankly, English language titles. There are real opportunities in the Nordics, in Germany, in it, basically in English speaking marketplaces where you can really think about, okay, we have a very strong brand. We have deep expertise in this area. What would our brand doing a conference in, I don't know, Stockholm look like? So I think that it, it is possible. And also we, events don't have to be huge in scale. You can do smaller things, dinners, you can do round tables by inviting a group of people who are to meet their peers and having a meaningful conversation around a topic. So when I say events, I don't just mean 700 people. I think that you can think about them in different ways and there are opportunities beyond the kind of the large conference venue. Perfect. And so to finish, I wondered if you could just share, basically on this podcast, we love some actionable insights. I wondered if there were any, basically any do's and don'ts that you've learned in the past few years oh, around wow. events that you might be able to share. I know that's a big yeah. question. <laughs> well, I think the, do, the do's are fairly straightforward. I think they are double down on your expertise in the topic area that you are publishing on and really think about, okay, who's who are the most interesting people who are doing the most interesting things that we can have on stage? The next step is to work with them really closely and publishers will because they're full of journalists and editors on what does that content actually look like? Because I think we've all sat through a lot of presentations that are a bit dull, not very inspiring. So what we do is we work really closely with everyone who speaks on everything from not just the topic area and, and, and the content, but what, are they, what does the deck look like? So we help them with, we have a slide clinic. We have our designers work with them if they need help with their slides to make everything look fantastic. And then we give them the opportunity to come and rehearse the day before, see the venue, come and if they want to do a full rehearsal. Not many people take us up on that because generally they're all quite practiced, but we work really hard to make sure those sessions are strong. Likewise, if it's a panel, we want the people all to connect beforehand and to have, a, have had a conversation and to figure out how do we make this dynamic? How do we make it lively? So the content is absolutely crucial. I'd say the experience is the next, clearly the next important thing. Delegates need to feel like they're getting a really great experience and they need to feel that they're really valued. So that's something that we put a lot of time into. And I guess the third thing would be publishers have a lot of ways of distributing content to so think about not just that day, but before and afterwards, how do you create really meaningful content both before the event and after, during the event and after the event. So how are you using those channels? How are you building communities? How are you, we had a great example recently where we worked really hard on our health community around LinkedIn and grew it really significantly by just really doubling down and thinking, okay, where are health professionals probably going to be? They're probably not on Instagram talking about using AI in the NHS. They're probably talking about that on LinkedIn. That's what we did. In terms of don'ts, I'm trying to think of a don't. Do you not hire a venue? The floods would be one learning. We wired money one 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 year. We happened to the night before have a little bit of a a flood, and our amazing uh, operations team were up all night mopping the floor, and the delegates didn't know. So that would be my my um, 
my tip is definitely develop some kind of foresight around the weather conditions. Well, it's good to hear from Greg and Wyatt and good to hear them bouncing back, doing well. Great brand and founded in sort of solid journalism and it's good to see them expanding and prospering. What do you think are the big take-homes for publishers elsewhere or maybe other consumer publishers or B2B brands who are thinking, yeah, we need to get back into events in a big way, but we're not sure how we go about it? Yeah, I think I really liked what Greg said about the fact that publishers have journalists that have such deep expertise. And so I guess just to publishers to make sure they use that and don't just slap the brand's name on it, but really make sure that if you've got those experts within your editorial team, make sure you're using them and their ideas and their insights because they probably know their field better than anyone. And that, after all, is why people would come to your event. But yeah, in general, it's the fact that it's about making sure people aren't just sitting passively in a room, but making sure they're actively encouraged to meet their peers, given something quite interactive, they're inspired, maybe with a mixture of workshops in there as well. And also the commercial point about making sure you're building a whole package around the event, maybe with, as I said, virtual stuff before or after sort of white papers, not just about the event itself, and nine to five that day but thinking about how you can benefit both the audience and uh, your commercial partners around it as well so it's not all it's not all about one day which maybe in the past it might have fallen into that trap of doing that and I like that the uh, making sure the editorial team are well bought into it I guess it's no coincidence that Greg's former UK editor of Wide is now running their events He's not an events organiser, he's an editorial person. And Tortoise is another good example of that as well, isn't it? The thinking. So something really dynamic that you actually get something really strong out of editorially as well. Brilliant. Thanks, Charlotte. Thanks for listening to The Future of Media Explained. That's our 11th podcast of the current season. We're going to have a few weeks off, but we'll be back in September. Thanks, Charlotte. Thank you to Adrian Bradley, our producer. You can listen to previous episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe, like it, leave a comment if you can. And don't forget to go to pressgazette.co.uk to read out more about all these topics that we cover on Future Media Explained. Thanks for listening. <laughs>